Thanks, Jen. Um, I usually say thanks to the worship team before I get up here, and I, I do want to point out one thing. It is a holiday weekend, so thanks for taking the time to come out today. I know a lot of you guys probably had other things going or still do, but um, Jen had to work and struggle hard to get our team together this week because she's like, this person's out of town, this person's out of town, this person... But thank you, Jen, for the extra work you put in, and thank you, musicians who stepped up. Those of you who are who are used to a certain team are like, wow, I've never seen that combo before. That's true. <laughs> First time for that particular combo, so thanks, guys. If you've got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to reference several portions of it. I'm not going to read the whole book, although I'm going to reference the whole book. So if you're a note taker, you might want to jot something down. Last week, Mike talked about how change takes faith in order for us to move forward. He talked about how he's changed his whole life because he knows God has something for them. And he's moving forward to something. And I always say, change, when God calls us to change, he's calling us to something. We don't always know what the end is, but rarely is he just saying, go away from there, go whatever. People want to spiritualize a lot of the decisions they make. So they decide to leave a church, and they say, well, God told me to go. Oh, where are you going? I don't know. What are you going to? I have no idea. But just not here. Or God told me to do this. Oh, really? How did, what did that sound like? What did that look like? Well, I don't know. I just know when God speaks to me. Well, I believe that God speaks to us, but I also believe there's usually confirmation from somebody else. And I also believe that God calls us to something greater, not just away from something that annoys us. And too oftentimes, we want to walk through life like, well, I don't like this, so I'm going to go, and then I'll spiritualize it so that everybody knows that it's God. Mike talked about how he left the career that he knew, he left the job that he knew, because he knows that God is calling him into a deeper relationship. Now, the beauty is, when I listened to a sermon, he didn't say, hey, all of you guys need to quit your jobs this week and get on board with me. What he said is, there's a lot of unknowns. But what he knows is, he's got to be faithful to follow God. So God calling us to do something more, something new, something fresh, he doesn't make us. That's the other thing. I've had people tell me, God's making me do this. No, he's not. It's not how God operates. If God doesn't make his own son die for you, he gives him the option, then he's not making you do something. With God, with Abraham, he didn't make Abraham go. What he said is, there's something else, and Abraham decides to follow and pursue and to chase that. God doesn't make you do things. And I think sometimes we want to say, God made me, because then who's responsible for my actions? Well, it's not my fault. It's a cop-out. Stop saying God made you do something and start saying, I believe that God's leading me this direction and I want to follow, but you have the choice whether or not to follow. From the very beginning of this series, five weeks ago, I started talking about this one thing. The only constant in life is change. And life is full of change. But in order for us to be changed into who God created us to be, see, God created you to be someone. And along the way, you had visions and dreams of what was or what you wanted it to be. But a lot of times, we're just trying to figure it out. We're walking through this life. We don't have a manual that tells us, tomorrow, get up and go do this. However, sometimes we make really good decisions and they pay off. Sometimes we make really bad decisions and they don't pay off. But all of those are based on our decision and whether or not we're choosing to try to follow God. 
It's the whole, the devil didn't make you do anything and neither did God. You chose to do what you chose to do. Now, who am I following and who am I listening to? And where is that leading me? Those are the things that we have to understand and take responsibility for in the midst of this change. So Paul writes to the church in Colossians. It's actually, the city is called Colossae. Because of the rise of Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism basically means that they're they're denying, they say God, Jesus can't be fully God and fully man. He can be either part God, part human, or he's God sometimes, human sometimes, but he can't be fully both because that doesn't make sense to me. And since it doesn't make sense to me, I can't believe that that's possible. And so Paul's writing to them because this Gnosticism has begun to rise up, and that's where you get the idea still today that, well, Jesus was a really good philosopher, or Jesus was a great man because he had good teachings. But we take away the divinity of God, and if we take away the divinity of Jesus' very nature, the God part, then how could he possibly be the sacrifice for our sins? And yet, it's easier for me to wrestle with, well, Jesus was a really good guy, than to say Jesus was the Son of God, and I desperately need a Savior. And so we still do this today in the church. And so that's what Paul is writing to address. And they had this kind of funky blend of pre, this was in the church, pre-understanding paganism, somewhat we follow Jesus, a certain sense of legalism that you've got to follow our rules, and then finally they threw in a little bit of self-help. So if you think this whole genre of self-help mixing with a bunch of other things is new, you're wrong. I mean, this was 2,000 years ago almost. 1,960 years ago, roughly, Paul's writing to this church going, hey, you guys, you cannot do it yourself. You cannot do it with your own mind. You cannot do it with your own power. You can't do it with your own whatever. I'm going to get up tomorrow and, you know, be my own savior. You're not a mini-god. You're not a... And so he's saying all of these things can't happen. And the reason Paul's writing this is because he says, your church is up for a big change. You're going to see a huge impact Paul's desire is to help them realize that they are called for something greater. That they're in the midst of change and a season of change, but if they don't get it together, it's just going to get ugly and messy and not work out the way they want. And so when we're in the midst of this change, this season of change, we have to make the decision, the determination, am I going to follow what God wants, or am I going to do this my own way and just see how it turns out and what happens? So Colossians 1, 1 through 8, is, I call this part prepping for God's mission for them. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was going on a road trip. Some of you know that I, I do this annual road trip with my son. This year, Dago, our good friend Dago, joined us. And um, I, I take him because I can put him to work. Uh, I go, hey guys, let's split wood. And they're always like, okay. And do you know how rare it is to find two teenage boys that just agree to do what you ask them to do when it comes to work? And... Um, then they make a game of it, who can split the most wood the fastest, and uh, who can split one and see which piece goes the farthest, things like that, but whatever, just get the job done. Um, but before we ever left, I, did pre- I took in my car, got the oil changed, went to Les Schwab, had all the tires checked. I went to the place because they told me a while back I might need a new battery, and I had them put on the battery at Les Schwab, and they put on the battery thing and told me, oh, you're at this percentage. I'm like, this percentage? I'm going to risk it. Um... But I did my road trip prep. I got my car ready. I got 
three towels and laid them down in the back because if you have a flat tire, the last thing you want to have to do is lay on the road on top of it. I want to lay on a towel. I made sure my jack was in there. I put in a spare jack just in case I had a jack problem. I do all these things to get ready for this trip because I want to make sure that everything goes as smoothly as possible. Now, here's the deal. I can't control everything. I could have still had a flat tire, a dead battery. I could have still had an incident where something happened to the car, but I can do my prep. Paul is saying, do your prep and be ready because you don't know what God has for you next, but God has something for you. And he tells them specifically, here's how you're going to prep. Their prep was, they were going to be spending time in prayer, focusing on God, focusing on what they knew, and when you do that, you're going to see fruit. But here's the problem. Fruit takes time. You cannot force fruit. Now, you can do things to tend the tree that it's going to come off of, My wife and I have a pear tree in our backyard. In the spring, I run gallons of water on that thing. I put those little fruit spikes in the ground that are time-release fertilizer in the spring and in the fall. I do things to get my pear tree ready to give me pears, and then I sit back and hope that some bee will show up and pollinate that thing. I went so far as to try to get a lady who has beehives to come and put a hive in my yard, but she said I was too far. But I do what I can on my part, but I can't make the fruit. So here's the thing. In our own life, are we doing and tending what we need to in our spiritual walk in order to see the fruit that we want? And in Paul's case, the fruit is this, a life that is changed and people that are not the same. Because he's looking at this church and saying, you guys, you have so much to offer people. You have the truth of the gospel, but are you willing to do the sacrifice it takes to get there. Are you willing to put in the time? My wife goes out and prunes, almost a little too aggressively, our fruit tree every year. But she does that because then, you know what happens? All the life that we're pouring into it doesn't go into wasted branches. It goes into that main part. It goes into what we need to produce fruit in our life. A lot of the things we're doing are not producing fruit because we don't really have any kind of plan. So I'll kind of do this, and I'll kind of do that, and I'll kind of focus on this. Paul's telling them, prepare yourselves, there's something ahead. The next portion of Colossians 9 through 20, he talks about preparing through prayer. From the first day, it says they heard the truth. In other words, they know the truth, but it's not active in their lives. How many of you have ever learned something, discarded it, but then years later came back to it? It's something that we know to be true. It's something that we know, maybe it was something you learned in algebra. And it never came up until you were going to build a deck one day, and then you're sitting going, oh wait, I think my teacher talked to me about this. If A and B equals this, then I think, I've got to measure something and cut it this long. And suddenly, that whole thing that you sat through, and you learned this formula, and you said, I'm never going to use this. And then suddenly you're going, oh, I need this. I had a similar situation right before we moved here. We built a new porch on the front of our house in Iowa. My wife had asked me to for four years since we moved in, so the best time to do it is two weeks before you leave. So we're about to put our house on the market. So I had a friend who said, building a porch, that's easy. I was like, come on over. He's like, I'll be there. And he shows up, and we start measuring, and I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, it's just simple. He comes saying, it's just basic algebra. As he takes out a T-square and starts marking things, cutting it. And within one afternoon, we completed a project that my wife for four years had been asking me to do, and I'd go out there and look and go, I can't do this. It's something I learned years ago, that when I knew where and how to apply it, it mattered and made a difference. 
God has been working in your heart for years, teaching you things, helping you learn things through both the Word, through lessons, through whatever, just through life circumstances. And then suddenly, when it comes in, you go, oh, this is that situation, this is that circumstance where I need to understand something that I was taught that I didn't understand, but now it matters. If we're going to be prepared for what God has next, we have to look at what we've learned and what we've gained and the knowledge we have and how God is using that to help shape us. He talks about how they need to have humility, realizing they need God for daily direction. They can no longer just act on ritual. Too often the church becomes a place where we act and respond on ritual instead of relationship. Does that mean we start doing crazy things that we have no no reason to? No. But it does mean we start knowing and understanding who God is, following what he has for us, and living that out. And we do it fully recognizing, I need God for this. I can't do it on my own. Talks about strength, again, that they cannot do this on their own. And it talks about giving thanks to God. Thanks to God, not because of good things, not because it's a good day, but thanks to God simply because He exists. How many of us take time to thank God simply because He allows you to exist? in the circumstance, in the day, and in the moment. Not because everything's going great, and every report I got this life, and I got a brand new job, and I'm making more money than ever, and I'm, all these things are perfect, so now I give thanks to God. No, he says, give thanks to God as a part of a general practice of how you live your life. And stop, for the love of God, stop trying to just say, well, God owes me this. And maybe you don't say it, but you live your life as if you do because of whatever has happened to you, or whatever you experienced before. Finally, in verses 21 through 23, it says, remain steadfast. You know the truth. Here's the problem with doubt. Some of you are afraid to admit that you have doubts. Some of you have your doubts, and you'll never move beyond them. Those are the two issues I have with doubt. There are things, I, I've said before, there are things I read in Scripture and go, I don't understand that. I don't. I, I doubt this. I, I struggle with it. And yet at the same time, I know the truth of what I know. The truth of my faith. And so I'm not wrong to have doubts. I'm not wrong to study and investigate and ask questions. It's only wrong when I give up because it's too difficult to get to a deeper truth and a deeper stage in my relationship with God. When I wrestle with doubt, typically, if I'm honest and genuine, I'll ask God to come and help me get to that place where I can better understand. And it doesn't mean I'll never have that doubt again because I ask questions and I'll have a doubt and then I'll go, man, I don't see how this could possibly be. And then I work through that and I walk through that and then it comes up again and again and again. But I continue to wrestle with it, not giving up. And the final thing that I'm going to say on this is, as you remain steadfast, don't just take my word for it. Okay? Don't just take my word for it. Delve in. Read the scripture. Know what it says. But just because some other speaker disagrees with me doesn't make them right and me wrong and doesn't make them wrong and me right. Different people have different perspectives. The book of James talks about, you know, don't be double-minded, and yet at the same time, if you read the history of James, James struggled with doubt more than any of the other disciples after Jesus was gone. So it's almost like it could have been his own diary saying, don't doubt today, don't doubt today, don't doubt today. And then he walks out and goes, I doubt any of this really matters. So he's telling you out loud, don't doubt. But in his own mind, he keeps touching on the same things that he struggled with. 
Colossians 1, 24 through 29. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I've told you before, the Bible is not a code to be cracked. Stop looking for a magic formula to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Okay? It's not a mystery to be solved. People didn't know. Now we know. Now we follow. But there's things you can't know. You don't get to know the day and the time. You don't get to know everything the future has to hold. And the problem is, things are constantly changing. And we had our plan and our direction. And we had our ideas for the future. And we pictured this beautiful whatever it is. And now, life doesn't look that way. So now I sit and I say, God can't be real because this isn't what I thought was going to happen. And so I'm angry at God, I'm angry at society, I'm angry at the world, I'm angry at those around me because none of this was what I planned. But he's saying, hey, the mystery's been revealed, but you still don't know all the answers. Jesus has shown, now is when the real faith comes in. Because it's one thing to say, oh no, I have faith in God, but do I have faith that God really has a plan and a purpose for my life when my life seems to be going to hell in a handbasket all around me. Because when things are good, it's easy to go, oh no, God is good. But when things are spiraling and your marriage is a mess, two people in our church this week got a cancer diagnosis. Two in one week. Why, God? Are you good or not? And the real question is, do I believe that God is still good? I have somebody in our church right now that's going through a divorce and it's getting messy. God, are you real? Are you there? Are you in the midst of this or not? Because if I believe that God is good and I say that he is, then I have to know that I don't know all the answers. But I still got to believe that God is there in my midst. I still got to believe that God is good. To them, God willed to make known what the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Basically, it talks about two key components right there. Suffering for the good of the church, and you have a responsibility to share the gospel. Mike talked last week in his intro about you have a responsibility to share the gospel. If you want more information, he said, you know, talk to this pastor, talk to that pastor, talk to this person. He goes, actually, you know what, talk to any of us, because we're all called to do that. You don't have all the answers. I don't expect you to have a theological degree, but I expect you to be able to do this, say, This is who Jesus is in my life, and this is why it matters. This is how it makes a difference. And if somebody goes, I don't understand that, it's okay. Because you don't fully understand it. I've known many people way smarter than me with way more theological degrees that I'll have conversations with and think, yeah, I don't think they really understand that. As many times I talk to somebody and go, oh, this is what God meant there. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. Oftentimes, 
We feel so ill-equipped that we don't feel like we can do anything. So suffering for the good of the church, responsibility is to share the gospel. So the question is, if God has a plan for what's next, how do I make sure that my life aligns with that plan? See, that's the thing. Is I don't have that answer. Because that's going to look different for you in your situation than it does for me in my situation. What I know is God has a plan for us. God's taking us somewhere. God's leading us somewhere. All I can do is say, is my heart ready for what God has for me next? Am I ready to seek what he has for me? Because it's really easy to say, I'd do anything for God. But don't ask me to do that. Don't challenge me. Don't stretch me. Don't pull me. Don't change me. But I'll do anything for God. As long as everything stays exactly as it is and nothing doesn't go my way. Change is coming. You will face pain and death, addiction, divorce, loss. Those are things that hit the world around us, so they're going to spill over onto you. I remember when my kids were little and we'd go to SeaWorld, especially my son, but he liked to sit in that first six rows. It's called the soak zone. It's no, it used to be called the splash zone. Then they changed it to the soak zone because they said, you don't get splashed, you get soaked. And my son would go down there and sit in like row number two and beg for that stupid whale to just soak him. We'd bring extra clothes so that he was prepared afterwards. Literally, backpack of extra clothes when we'd go. He wanted to get soaked. He wanted to be immersed. Here's the deal. The world's going to soak you. The question is, are you ready? Do you got your backpack full of extra clothes? Do you got what you need? Because sometimes it doesn't seem so bad, but other times it seems so overwhelming. I remember we have a picture of my son, and he's dripping, and the smile is from ear to ear, and the water's running down his face and off his chin. And I was like, I could not imagine being more miserable in my life than 55-degree salt water coating my body while I'm in my clothes and just dripping. And there he is, just standing there smiling, having the time of his life. But see, he could do that because he knew five minutes after that, we're going to go, we're going to put dry clothes on, we're going to move forward and go throughout the rest of our day. If I told them, okay, now you get to walk in soggy shoes for the next six hours and continue to smell like old fish, he probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. When we're prepared, it doesn't matter what hits us. We can stand there and smile because we're prepared for it. Doesn't mean it's what we wanted even. Doesn't mean it's, you know, sometimes it is, but sometimes it doesn't mean what we want. But we're prepared for whatever it is we face. Let's be people who are prepared for change. Know that it's coming because it is constant. So my next question for you, my final question today is, what steps do you need to take to prepare your spirit for what's next? Changes are coming. Changes are coming in your life. Changes are coming in our church. I sense it and I know it. Somebody said to me, what do you think that is? And I said, I have no idea. I just know when change is coming. I just know. Change is coming. And I'm doing everything I can to prepare my heart for what God has for us. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that you are constant and good in the midst of our storms, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our struggles, and in the midst of our triumphs as well. You are there. You are there in the good and you are there in the bad. You are there in the sickness. You are there in the wellness. In your name, amen.